Hello, and welcome again to the Kinky Boys podcast. We're continuing our little mini-series on community organising, and I've got some friends from the London Leathermen on the show to talk about the club with me and about their experiences. But before we dive into that, I of course have to thank our daddy's favourite level patrons. So, Southern Suter, Hilary, Ochnerb, Banjo Stewie, Adam F, Brian C and Harry Hypnotist. Please know you are daddy's favourites. Now, on with the interview. So, I was trying to find people to do another one of these uh, community organising things. And I'm like, gosh, do I know anyone who's actively involved in community organising around me? And then I realised for the last 18 months of my life, it's pretty much been the London Leathermen. <laughs> so yeah, please welcome back Ox, who you may remember from our, what was it, Unfortunate Stories episode? Yes, yes. Hello. And you are the London Leathermen, what we like to call the Master of Revels, aka the event organiser. Plus the, plus the secretary temporarily. Yes. And of course, we have our president, James. Hello. Hello, hello. First time on the show. Happy to be here. Lovely. Always happy to have you. So, yeah. So we're all on the committee for the London Leathermen. Like, I, you know, editorial, what, what is it? Journalistic integrity, I have to say. Like, I am also on the committee. We do this as a club. But yeah, so we are a leather club. And let's start off with, so what? Is a leather club for anyone like being introduced to the idea? Sure, I'm happy to take this one uh, and probably get it spectacularly wrong. You know, first <laughs> foot forward. Make sure it's one that at least you think is right. At least to me, a leather club is generally just a small, or I mean, could be large, organization of people into fetish, generally leather. And essentially, they provide the community side of BDSM. Once you're done with the whole. <laughs> elaborate ways of getting off and just cruising around a dark room, you might find that actually you want to talk to the people that you're stopping. And these clubs provide a means of doing that. Yeah, that's pretty concise. Like, obviously, they tend to organize events. Or... I would say that you dropped the million dollar question as the first question here. What is a leather club is... As a large one, it's a very big question. I think that a leather club reflects the community that it comes from, so it can take a lot of shapes. And our leather club is probably a little different than one in, say, Chicago or Kuala Lumpur. Mm -hmm. We know what we are trying to do, but in general, it's a community of some sort. Yeah. It basically provides a level of infrastructure for the community. That's kind of how I explain it to people. Hmm. Yeah. And obviously you have rubber clubs and general uniform clubs. And fun fact, technically in our constitution, we're not just leather. Uh, we are also rubber uniforms and denim. Yes, the, the London Blues that used to, yes. be, used to be a club. And they closed down, unfortunately, at some point in history. Yeah. But we have taken them in, into the yeah. club. 
Well, it was only, I believe, two, three years ago they closed. I don't recall if that was when the Blues closed, but I know the 69 Club closed quite recently as well. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, and this is something particular to the London Leathermen, which you will always hear us boast about. We are the oldest uh, standing leather club in the UK. Uh, we have just had our 50th year. We have. And uh, we have just passed the full week of the full, sorry, full weekend of the celebrations. Mm. I think that's a great overview. So shall we get into the nitty gritty of what a leather club kind of does, or at least R1 does in the community? Yeah. I mean, the big thing is event organizing. Yes. So our leather club, as of the time that I joined, which was about 18 months ago as well, I'm going to roll back a little bit. Mm -hmm. London Leathermen had ebbs and flows of popularity through the years. And about two years ago, it was not in the best of place. Not in the best of places. That means like there were not not a lot of new blood going in. Um, the population of the club was getting older and further out of London. And in the last two years or so, this club has been in a process of rejuvenation, of kind of like reinvent itself. And this is a process that we are actually doing it actively now. I have given this whole little intro here just to say that what we're doing right now is with that thought. We are trying to keep our older members interested and happy and involved and a part of the community and look at newer members. And to do that, we have done a myriad of events. I don't have the records from all of our years in the clubs, but I would believe that this was one of the busiest years ever, if not the busiest year event-wise. And we definitely try to diversify more this year. Usually the club has a few dinners that are sort of a part of a club the club's DNA. That's a member's dinner in the birthday. That's a fish and chips dinner in December. That's a curry after the AGM, which is our general meeting every year. Mm-hmm. And we have tried to add more to that. Um, that is the London Leather Weekend that's been going on for this. This is the second year in a row, and it's back to being in full force as a full event from Friday night until Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Um, we've added more meals. We've added museum visits, gallery visits, the kinkioki, everyone's favorite. And there was just a lot more as we try to basically communicate and reach out to as many people as we can in the community. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty thorough way of going over everything. Uh, I guess I'd just go back to Orr's point of, you know, it really depends from club to club what these ones do. And here at London Leathermen, at least, our focus is on trying to establish a sense of community and pull through some of those traditions from uh, the early days when leather clubs were largely the only kind of community that our kind of kingsters could get. Uh, it wasn't as easy as downloading an app and finding a takeaway hookup within five minutes. 
but more having to actually go out and meet people and have meaningful connections and over time develop lifelong friendships. We really want to try and bring that sense of community to the modern day, as Orr says, by trying to have not just one type of an event, but have a series of different events that can appeal to different people, whether it is a drink in a pub at a social or if it is something more specific, like a museum trip, really trying to find a way to bring that community sense back from the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I mean, when I first joined up with the club, one thing that really struck me was the kind of long-standing bonds a lot of the existing members had. Like we talked about, there was a lot of people who have been there since the 70s and 80s. Like there are some members who are still there from when the club's inception. And talking to them has been really enlightening. Like you don't often get that opportunity to like sort of reach across the divide, especially with like the AIDS crisis really meant there has been this huge gulf between sort of like the 80s to 90s. We lost a whole generation of people practically. So finding people to connect with uh, can be quite hard. And it's like, I remember the first big anniversary dinner I went to, they talked about his nickname in the club was the Duchess because he always wear like this really big fur. I think it was a stole along with his leathers and people spoke so fondly of him and there were such clear connections of this person who had recently passed. And it kind of drove home for me, like how important this is. Like we talk about events, but that's kind of what the club does. What it's for is to sort of strengthen and enable bonds between people. Oh, exactly. And I mean, in some way, I'm quite one of the reasons why I volunteer for these kind of positions is in a way, I'm very jealous of people who have those kind of connections. I mean, having moved to London in my early 20s, I found that a lot of the friendships I was making were almost destined to fail. Like They had a very specific expiry date when people would inevitably move out of the city or change jobs and no longer see me in the day to day. And what I was really striving for was connection. And exactly as you say, this is something that London Leatherman has been able to provide to members who have been in it for the last couple of decades. And what we want to do is try and provide that to other people. Because it's certainly what I want for myself. And, I mean, running the club's not been without its challenges. But, like, one thing you do feel is the weight of the history of it. Because, so, originally it was called MSC London. Because back in those days, you kind of had to covertly go as a motorcycle club. And this was pretty much everywhere. And you even today, there's, uh, what's the overarching organization for Europe? ECMC. It stands for European Confederation of Motorcycle Clubs. Yeah, and this is basically all the sort of leather and uniform clubs around Europe who come together and meet once a year because you've recently been to the newest one which is in Milan yeah we recently had the AGM so a Mm. bit of background on ECMC as Craig said it's uh, a confederation also a coalition generally just a group of these different clubs uh, that meet historically it was to uh, arrange uh, joint events like a big European 
bike ride. Mm-hmm. It was to make sure that individual events didn't clash. So that, for example, France didn't have its leather weekend the same time that Spain was doing something. And generally trying to have this sense of camaraderie between not only clubs within a country, but clubs Europe-wide. We had the most recent AGM a couple of weeks ago in Milan, uh, where there's been a recent conversation about what is the purpose of the club now, whereas it used to be a lot more reliant on print and interdepartmental, I guess is the best term, Mm. for arranging dates and things. You know, before the internet, you'd have to have specific delegates go out, confirm calendars with people, come back, and then work the local calendar. Now that we have the internet and online calendars, a lot of the previous machinery of ECMC has become a little bit redundant. So what the group is looking to do now is look at the current state of leather clubs across Europe and say, well, what can we do to support the communities? And a lot of resolutions were passed in Milan, making some very promising steps forward towards some quite exciting ideas, like having universal email and internet hosting tools so that even small brand new clubs would be able to sign up to the service and be able to get those resources to basically have this starter kit of, well, I want to run a local leather club. Okay, I've got this, that, and the other thing that I need to do to actually run it and just go off with speed rather than having to worry about resourcing and technical knowledge and trying to find things to host websites, for example. So it's quite an exciting time for European clubs as well. Yeah, and it's coming to a time when like new leather clubs are kind of popping up everywhere. I get the impression there's this feeling that people are kind of sick of purely interfacing online. And I'm sure that's a collection of things. Like, obviously, we had like two to three years, depending on uh, where you were, of just purely interacting with people through nothing but online. Yeah, exactly. There's also like just social media itself has degraded. We are in the great enshittification of all social media. <laughs> and people are kind of wanting a more physical, solid, local way to interact with people. That's a, a good point. And I think one thing that maybe this conversation is not quite happening yet in the conversation that we have tried to instigate in the club is the the effect of of social media on what is community life and specifically the community that we are a part of. Um, I am guessing that we are going to touch on this a little later in the day, Mm -hmm. but you know what? Let's keep this for later. (laughs) If you want that juicy information, you have to listen to the rest of the episode. (laughs) No, um, basically... I feel that social media has damaged uh, communities on the whole, at least in the last few years. I mean, we all we are all men of a certain age, and we remember the internet when it was new and exciting, and mainly when not everyone and their aunt was on it. And that was the internet that was community, but I think the moment that foreign objects began to introduce itself into the system, mainly things to sell, data to harvest, and so on. 
it creates something that is not good for a community and it creates something that is not good for community activism. It creates this sort of mirror world in which tweeting or xing about something i don't know how elon musk wants us to call it now but tweeting about an event or tweeting your opinion is suddenly considered activism i i'm not against saying your opinion online of course but i feel like a lot of people's only idea of community interaction and, and that is something that I would really like to fix. Actually, that's a good point as well. It's not just people posting their first thoughts or the kind of issues we see with mainstream social media, but also people feeling like if they're not posting regularly about their type of hookups or posting the hottest porn or showing off their latest outfits, then they couldn't possibly fit into the community because they don't have those things or they maybe don't have the resources to acquire those things or any one of these other reasons, it can lead to, as you say, a bizarre mirror world where they look at what they think may be a community and just see this very surface level, bizarre twist on things and not appreciate that at least my experience of the fetish world, particularly across Europe and internationally, is it's this very diverse mix of interesting backgrounds, people with different interests and generally just interesting people. I know I keep saying the word interesting, but they just truly are. And that's really something you miss if all you do is look online and look at someone's 15 posts about their OnlyFans account and people they are collabing with. That's something that I think Craig here used to call the commodification of of talent. And, and it's a good time to remind people that as always, talent and fetish are not a competition. We're not in a competition with each other. We we can all do our own thing and there's no need to feel bad if you're pop, more popular or less popular. At the end of the day, you can't buy anything with likes. At least not yeah. until the NFTs are finished. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. It's We've talked about it at length on this show where it's sort of social media as it stands is pretty much all done through sort of the filter of corporate entities who make money. So it's all through a very competitive lens where you're encouraged to compete with other people and to be the most visible. And as you said, it creates this very distorted image where people are like talking about all the hookups they've had when they've had like one session and are spacing out the photos. And again, (laughs) Like, I always like to, like, put in the disclaimer, which is we're not getting on at people who do, like, online porn sex work. Like, it's a job and you have to hustle to make that work. 100%. But it is also when that is the only medium that everything is run through, it has a distorting effect. And coming back into the world and talking to people in the flesh and connecting with people through mediums other than online social media spaces is really different and transformative. Like we was talking about the ECMC where it's like connecting with people across the globe on a personal one-to-one basis, cooperating is really different and powerful. It is. Exactly. And honestly, that's kind of the shame of 
where social media has gone, particularly in the last couple of years, because there was a brief moment when it was beginning to look like that kind of sense of community was coming online. People were, for example, tweeting. And to answer your earlier question, Ox, it Musk wants us to call it posting. So fuck that. We're calling them tweets. People would tweet about what, just their general lives or they'd post tweet about video games or they'd actually have much more of a crossover of their regular lives and their fetish lives. And it was this great moment to see that just with the general crackdown on uh, fetish-related content, people getting shadow banned or just outright banned uh, for any kind of pictures they post, the rise of very toxic interactions or right-wing people just mm-hmm. generally running amok on these platforms, like the whole thing has receded. So it really does highlight the need for these interpersonal in-person conversations and communities because we tried it online and unfortunately it didn't work similar to Craig's point due to these corporations coming in and trying to monetize everything. Yes. And that also makes the, the spaces that we have right now more and more unsafe specifically for people like us and other marginalized communities. Mm. Yeah. And it, yeah, it has definitely been very interesting to see the big contrast growing as more people come into the club. So I think this is a good jumping off point. So since joining the club, what has it taught you? I mean, it's a tough question because I guess what it's done most since joining a leather club has been solidifying my experiences of the in-person fetish community. Because I remember mm-hmm. since trying my first leather social or going to what was our local leather bar, The Backstreet, I found that it wasn't just a connection on the type of fetish kinks and interests that we have in the bedroom, but it was connection on a wide range of just living experiences as people living in a local area with these interests, you know, having another avenue into a queer community was just incredibly Mm -hmm. valuable to me. I've made so many meaningful friendships. I've met so many interesting people. I've just had such a great time while still fully dressed. It was something that I really wanted to help contribute towards. And since joining, it's just really solidified that to me. You know, seeing this as not just my experience, but the experience of other people, something that I can contribute towards has been incredibly rewarding. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen my experience was being nervous and on the outside and being welcomed in by just a couple of very kind strangers. Since being in the club, I've had the pleasure of being on the opposite side. So being the one embracing someone else, I've had a few people reach out quite nervously exploring the idea of coming to a social and not really being sure about whether it would be the type of event they would enjoy. So we've had that at our gear social. I've had that at Kinky Oki. It's something that isn't all that uncommon when running a club and it's just so rewarding to see people turn up and just come out of their shell and make new friends and blossom into these regular people on the scene who i see all the time and just talk about how much fun they're having nice i will take a different angle here a question was what have we learned is that correct no it's what what has the main challenge what is the main challenges you faced the main challenge. What is it you can't face? <laughs> I think 
for me, the main challenge was politics. I come from, I am, as you can probably hear by my weird, weird accent, I'm an immigrant. I've been here for 10 years. And I come from a country with very different social climate and very different rules and, and ways of handling. And we usually tackle things heads on. We just go and say what we want to say. And that's the, the way of communicating. And that's how I communicated most of my life. Um, and being in this role and having this responsibility I needed to learn and I have learned how to be a much better politician how to notice more cues in a conversation and so on and that's also been the challenge because I think a lot of times when something bad happens you kind of as a as a as a private person you really want to you know like scream and break something but you need to be restrained and you need to think about the rest of the community and you need to think about how what you're doing is going to affect the people that at the end of the day, I, I feel that I am responsible for. And that is the main challenge for me. Mm. Oh, I can definitely relate to that. So when you take up like a position on a committee, I always like to think of it as stewardship. It's not leadership, it's stewardship. You are there to steward the community and make sure it maintains and grows and keeps well. Mm. And that basically means you have to really look at it and work for everyone. Like clubs generally are direct democracies. We get together at our AGMs and vote directly on propositions and put forward and debate like the members have a direct say and you very much have to be able to sort of really exercise a lot of empathy and a lot of what's what i'm looking for well basically diplomacy like mm. you have to learn diplomacy which is a skill and it's a skill not a lot of people know and again i a large part of that does come from the online world it's not exactly groundbreaking these days to say that when discourse goes online, it becomes very sort of reduced down to two incredibly polarized positions and any sort of nuance tends to get chopped off. And so I do feel a lot of people, their diplomatic skills have kind of hemorrhaged and in a real world space, you need to be able to do that. Yes, 100%. And in fact, that would be my advice for anyone who's, thinking about starting their own club what is the hardest part of community organizing it's everything that Oren Craig has said it's that art of managing people not just trying to get people to show up to events but having that sense of diplomacy being able to resolve interpersonal disagreements being able to receive criticism appropriately and mm -hmm. take the elements of it that will serve you and leave behind anything that doesn't so that's not to say ignore criticism or anything negative, but proportionally try and understand where is this person coming from? Is this them griping about something that's beyond their control? Do they have a legitimate concern? Is this something I can act on? Is it something that I have to unfortunately park due to various reasons? I mean, an example of that is we've had quite a few comments about accessibility at events in London. And unfortunately, the type of venues that we 
can use who are willing to welcome us and have us run events there are quite old buildings that don't have things like lifts or step-free access. And as much as we really want to be able to address concerns of accessibility, it's something that we don't have the resources or venues to do right now. And so just being able to listen to those kind of comments, empathize, understand what actions you can do now to address those and what aspects of the feedback you need to park it all ties into this idea of diplomacy and being able to work with people rather than just sort of run events and expect people to turn up. Yeah, like your ego definitely takes a pounding. What I mean is like, I don't mean just like sense of self-esteem. I do mean like ego in the classic sense where when someone challenges you or comes to you with a different point of view, you really have to not get defensive about it and just be... to keep an outreached hand and to sort of like find compromises wherever you can and as you said like we are constrained with things like accessibility like we've been very aware of stuff like this but it's also we're also limited in our capacity to help Mm. so we have to really look at solutions that we can do yeah And in fact, I'd also add patience as Mm. something that is like a big aspect of that. So first of all, being patient when someone's screaming in your face and actually still providing decent feedback, but you're not wanting to rise to any occasion. But having that patience to know, okay, this is an issue we can't fix right now, it wouldn't actually help the people that it would benefit to try and do something right now, but this is something that we need to have an appropriate plan to try and address. Are there any venues that would have accessible access? If so, are there any that we would be able to start petitioning for use now, slowly build up a relationship? You know, it's it may not be something that can be sold overnight, but if you have the patience to draw up a plan and respond to it appropriately, then it'll be much more effective in the long term rather than a quick fix because you received a piece of feedback the other day? I think that the next year for the club uh, would be one of trying to stabilize it a little bit. Because so far in the last few years, uh, as, as I've said before, we have been kind of trying to bring the club back up on its feet and I think that this would be the mark for the next year. And with it, I hope that there will be strategies for things like accessibility. In the meantime, as we are going now, we are trying to solve this and patch this on the way. Uh, we've had one or two events that were completely accessible this year. And I'm happy to say uh, that the November event that has just passed has been in a completely accessible space to everyone. So that was always a joy when we find one that we are able to do something like that in. But yeah, it's you definitely learn a lot about people and you definitely learn a lot about prioritizing, learning to see what's truly important. Hmm. Like, again, I always go back to bonds I've seen and demonstrated and I always think, are my actions going forward going to serve that or are they going to hurt that it's a good way of looking at it yeah so we talked about the hard parts 
What are the good parts you found? I think the best parts for me are seeing someone who didn't know we existed or didn't know a community existed, and then they find us, and particularly the ones that get wide-eyed and happy. Mm-hmm. These, I feel, are the happy moments. In the last London Letter Weekend, we had quite a few of those, specifically in the opening night. And it was really like heartwarming to see it, how excited people were about the club. I think that's the the best point of it, definitely. A hundred percent. I mean, I've been talking a lot about receiving bad feedback, but honestly, when the feedback is good, it feels amazing. It's what all of was saying about people being wide eyed and full of wonder of seeing that this is a community for them. It's what I was talking about earlier about people blossoming from someone who's nervous to even consider stepping into a bar wearing a leather waistcoat to suddenly wearing a full rubber cat suit on the underground. You know, it's just so rewarding to see the impact that this can have on people's confidence and people's social life just from helping to make sure that these kind of events happen and that the sense of community can still proceed. It's just rewarding in a word. Yeah, very much so. Like I, you know, for my part, it's like it is gaining that sort of connection to our shared history and sort of shared purpose, which you know, has really been very fulfilling for me. Hmm. No, I can definitely Hmm. relate on that too. Hmm. Particularly one of the perks of uh, London Leatherman and it being one of the oldest clubs in Hmm. Europe is having that sense of history, being able to talk to queer elders that I wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to talk through, listen to their experiences of the AIDS epidemic, of living under Section 28, about all of these different aspects that we've kind of heard of or we might have seen in period TV or, you know, we may have heard about, we haven't necessarily heard about someone sitting in front of you ready to answer any questions. It's just great to have that kind of sense of connection to our history and then also see those kind of people still about and thriving. In fact, during the leather weekend, we had somebody talk about uh, somebody... I think it was 20, 40 years younger than them, making a pass, which they found very rewarding, and it was great to hear. Yeah, seeing that connection being built really is wonderful. Like, I think back to the... I went on the my first Pride March with the London Leathermen two years ago, and seeing, like, all the new younger members and the older members mixing and talking while I was in the park before and marching alongside really was an amazing experience. Mm, yeah, Pride was such a... Actually, I think Pride might have been one of the first community organization things I got involved with. Mm. I remember four or five years ago, standing at Pride, watching it walk past, and it was quite a light year for Leatherman. I think there was only about 16 people there, one having an incredible whip display, but otherwise not really having many people. And then three, four years ago, the opportunity came up to march with Recon, and I ended up doing that, meeting wonderful people. It was that great influx of younger people showing up and marching. And then in subsequent years, I helped organize the bluff section taking over from my partner trevor mm-hmm. and it's just been great to make sure that we have that space at pride and march all together and just show people that we are still around oh i i just remember sorry this, this may be getting indulgent but i just remember we were turning a corner and walking down 
on in the march towards uh, Oxford Street. No, just off off Oxford Street. And the entire crowd saw us and started chanting kink at Pride. Ah, yeah, that's a good feeling. And again, again, this goes back to like the online discourse where you have all these people online getting really toxic with the no kink at Pride. And then the people that actually make the effort to go to Pride, make the effort to be there, are just so incredibly supportive. And it reminds you of what being in the real world, present in the world, means. Hmm. That's what Pride is about, isn't it? Yeah. That's what community is about, just to bring it back on theme. <laughs> Gosh, we're saying community a lot. It's almost like we're running for a leather title. <laughs> See that elegant segue I just made? Seamless. Absolutely <laughs> seamless. Yeah. Ten points. So one of the things that is happening is we're kind of... Re well, basically starting Mr. Leather London in we earnest. We kind of had a soft launch over this last year of the wonderful TK, and we've been kind of putting our heads together and thinking what kind of a title because clubs often back titles. We have Mr. London Leather now. What sort of title we want to see and what we want it to be? This actually ties back to online spaces and the way that conversations on them are different than in actual spaces. There are a lot of titles right now in the world and there is also some, even some commercial titles later. Like what was that app that had its own mister? Does anybody remember? Remember hearing about this, but I don't remember the app. But yeah, there's a dating app that's launching their own Mr. Title. So yeah, we had to really sit down and think about what we wanted this title to be and do. And one of the things I think we really came to is like titles like sashes come with a like built-in platform. People start to know your face, you get advertisement, you sort of become known, you get a louder voice essentially. And we wanted to make sure it would be a title where that would be used and not just sort of a passive thing. Like if you're going to have the sash, we want to know what you're going to do with it. Yes. The soft lunch that, that you planned was a bit of a surprise to us. Um, it started last year as something that was supposed to be mostly a joke. But then TK came along and I think we can all say that he's done a wonderful job. And he yeah. took this very seriously. He is now our very own Mr. Leather Europe. Congratulations, TK, once again on the air this time. And yeah. it and seems I'm... like... Sorry, do you want to go ahead? I was just going to say, it seems like there's a thirst amongst people for this sort of thing. This is exactly what I was about to say. It seems like after we've made the original initial competition, that we didn't really take into consideration how much people love that and how much this is needed and how much people would want a role model. So as Craig said, when we amplify our voice, we are going to get to know our competitors very well. There's going to be some face-to-face -face interview. There's going to be a pretty diverse panel of judges from all corners of the community, including one international judge. And we're trying to get everyone's perspective to choose the person who would represent the values 
of this club and of this community and of this city and make sure that like the voice that we amplify would have something good to say mostly by accident we did a one-off pageant with the idea of it being purely a pageant like the idea of a sash was literally just you looked pretty on the night well done now go home but to craig's point these titles create a platform almost out of thin air everyone else took it very seriously and tk was finding himself with such a platform that he had to either just passively enjoy it or step up and try and do something with it. And fortunately for everyone, he did the latter. And so really this provided a great opportunity for us to now look at, you know, people are taking this seriously, we should take it seriously as well, and provide this opportunity to consider what we want from a title, what would really represent this club, this community, this city, very eloquently put Yeah, it's just the idea of us going forward and trying to create a title that really does reflect people locally and make sure that we find the right person who is able to represent Mm. it properly. So someone who is able to go forwards and do meaningful community work, represent us on the European stage, help to have those links between us and our friends across Europe or even indeed across the world to make sure that there is still this in-person interconnectivity uh, that can hopefully, with time, uh, replace the mundanity of online social media. I hope so, too. This is a good time to mention that we are going to try to make the competition itself uh, a little different than years prior or from how competitions like these usually look like. And I think this is a perk of leadership, obviously, that we get to try new things. And this is actually a nice place to say that like it can flop. And we 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 recognize that this can flop. But we want to give something that we feel is right and correct a shot. Which is why you'll find that this year this competition will be less of a stage show. It would be more about community interaction it would be more about the messages and and the important uh, values that each contestant wants to present it has to do with what the crowd thinks and what our really respected judges think we want to try to create something that is grassroots here and we we are all very much in our hearts hoping that it would work but if it doesn't then it doesn't. And next year we can try something completely different. Indeed. Like the idea is we're trying to be a little experimental here. We worry that while pageants certainly have their place, trying to elect a representative of a club and scene that way, it inevitably biases towards people who are considered pretty or popular, not necessarily someone who will do the work. Whereas treating this almost like a mayoral election, having in-person opportunities to actually talk to the person rather than see them on a podium that you can't actually interact with, we're hoping that in trying to do it this way, people have much more of a connection to the person they want to elect, that they make sure that they are able to tell them the sort of things that they value in their representative. And indeed, the candidates will be able to hear what things people would want from their representative. And, you know, this could ultimately flop, as all says, but it could 
go on to provide some really meaningful way of identifying someone who will benefit the community. So watch this space, come along and support it. And who knows, this may be a format that goes on to replicate through the years. This is actually a good time to say that our gear social for February is going to be extended. And this will be the time where everybody who comes to the gear social and everybody who is interested in the club can come and meet the final candidates. And this is actually a good place. And I'm going to use that stage. I'm going to use that stage, Craig, (laughs) to ask people to come and to tell people what it is that they want and what bothers them and which projects they care for and, and what they're actually about and what they want from their club. This also applies to the AGM, which would take care in March, in which we will announce the final winner and the title bearer for Mr. Leather London 2024. We also plan to present a bunch of decisions, which we will communicate to everyone. And this is, I think, probably the most important event in our calendar for the year because this is where you give us the instructions of of where you want this community to go and what is important to you so come yeah as i say like our club is structured and pretty much most others are structured as direct democracies it's very interesting to be involved in direct democracy where you actually debate on the floor and put forward motions yourself and have a direct hand in it and you're very actively involved And I really do sort of, if you're a club member, like really do make sure to come to the AGMs. It's also a nice, a nice time to say that if you've attended a lot of our events in the following year, consider becoming a member. And speaking of, we are always in the need of volunteers. So whether you're a member or not, if you're considering helping out in your local community, it can be something as small as helping host one of the events and making sure that people are taken care of. It could be helping to make sure that events run properly. So volunteering with uh, the actual nitty gritty of running these different events across the calendar, or it could be as much as joining the organization committee and making decisions about the future of the club or by extension, your local community. So certainly if you have any interest in community organization just volunteer reach out to either your local leather club or if you're based in london us please yes and one more question um so we've said like there are a lot of new leather clubs popping up if someone's starting their own what advice would you give to them i'd say my i'd cheat here and give two pieces of advice first one would be to have a thick skin similar to what we were talking about earlier it's something that you would need to exercise diplomacy you'd need to deal with feedback both positive and negative you'd have to deal with uh, rejection or failure trying to start a local event and the venue shutting down or any number of different things happening so resilience and grit will take you a long way and similarly feel free to be experimental. Not everything has to be a replica of an existing event or something that you've done previously. Like try and innovate, see what works, what doesn't. The worst thing that can happen is you try something and it doesn't work and then you'll know for next time. Yeah, I think that's great advice. 
I already kind of covered it a little earlier with join an existing leather club, but if I do need to give some piece of sage advice, the advice that I would give someone who is opening a new club is that leadership is something that is to be earned. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of uh, somewhat of an intimate connection between people. And a lot of times when you're starting, it can be daunting to be like, why isn't everyone rallying around this? I think the true the true art and one of the harder parts of activism is realizing that to start is a bright and shiny new thing, but you also need to continue. And the continuance mm-hmm. is the actual job. So if you're prepared for that ahead of time, I think it would be much easier. Oh, definitely. And for my part, I think, as I said earlier, like you are not a leader. Like that's a very egocentric thing. You are a steward. You are there to be a caretaker of the community. And like that is a hard thing to decenter yourself and like go forward in a philosophy of stewardship. But it definitely pays off. Absolutely. Heartily agree. Cool. So, yeah, this has been a really candid interview. (laughs) Like, this is currently, like, you know, a big part of our lives currently. Like, we dedicate a lot of time to it. So thank you very much for coming and talking about it with me. Thank you for having us. Yes. Yeah. So obviously, like you can find us in person at any of the London socials. But if not, where can people find, contact you otherwise? I'm on most anything as one kinky gent, all letters, no numbers. So provisionally still on Twitter, though probably closing that soon. Otherwise, Instagram, Switched, Recon, just roll the dice and find me on lurking on basically any platform i am on mastodon at his name is ox at wolf.group but that is more of my personal account if you'd like to catch me about anything that has to do with london leatherman please email events at london leatherman uk or catch me at an event i'd be more than happy to speak to you nice and yes i'm craig you know from every week where to find me both personal and through the kinky boys podcast And thank you for listening. And as always, listeners, play safe.